So, okay, it's on the heavy on the left side there. <laughs> so there's quite a few good questions. There's just a little, a short one, but it's quite a loaded one. I mean, by loaded, I mean, we could spend quite a bit of time. How do you balance self-love with not-self? Well, to love oneself doesn't mean necessarily to love your ego alone. I, in my experience, compassion comes much more profoundly and deeply and naturally when you realize that this person here doesn't have a driver. <laughs> Do you understand? It's like a car without a driver. So what do you do when you have a car without a driver? Well, you try to help the car to find a way to be driven in the right direction. And you could say it's like the Dharma is guiding you in the right direction. So in fact, the more you get a sense that there is no self, the more compassion comes to get some help. You know, it's like a... The, the natural response of the heart is to have compassion for oneself. So when you talk about self-love, it, I mean, it can be many things, but it can be um, do not berate yourself, do not hate yourself. In meditation practice, you will hear that hundreds and hundreds of times from teacher, experienced teachers. They know that the way to free the heart is not through hatred. It's not through critical um, mind. It's not through that critical mind. Uh, I'm not talking about a discriminative mind, which is a good mind, but just um, the judging mind, the mind that judge and uh, kind of impose values on one's view. You know, impose certain kind of uh, way of looking at things and judging, and uh, so that's not compassion. In the practice of meditation, my experience is that um, unskillful mental state do not help freedom. Do you understand? Unskillful, what is negativity, or you know, they just don't help to release the heart, the heart from its uh, delusion. But when you say self-love, it's more like it's kind of attempting, you know, being vigilant enough in oneself to not harm oneself, you know. To not to realize that there is no driver. You know, there's no one there. But it doesn't mean that delusion and Mara are not there. Those states of mind keep on uh, running the human life if you don't 
get to know the effects they have on you. So um, it's a it's a question that everybody at some point wonder about. How can I love myself if there is no self? The real koan, isn't it? You have to break through the irrational of this because it won't. It's not a rational response you can get. It comes from a natural experience. So even though there is no self, you know, self, you have to realize what we call self is so, well, that's so deluding. It's really pathetic, really, sometimes how, um, you know, uh, they just don't get it right. If you really want to know what self is, it's your attachment. Ah, oh, the self. The experience of your attachment is self. What we call the kilesa is a self. Yeah? So attachment is your, what we would call yourself. If you really want to know what the self is. So it's not a permanent thing there, a personality, entity there that's always there. What is called the self is this attachment, this view, this um, this program of delusion. You noticed when people say, "Oh, don't take it personally," you know that's a great Buddhist jargon sentence. You know, don't take it personally. You just want to punch them back and say, "You get out of my way." <laughs> Who are you anyway? <laughs> Look at yourself. So when we say don't take yourself don't take it personally, you know what that means? You say don't be mad at me. <laughs> That's one thing. That's one of the the kind of second layer of, <laughs> of experience. But the first one is that uh you know it don't don't suffer. You know, don't suffer. Don't take it personally. It means don't suffer about this. You notice that. When you said don't take it personally, what did you mean? Can you somebody tell me what they meant? Do you use that expression? Buddhist. The Buddhist world was very good at using that expression. Yeah. Basically, you're telling people don't attach, you know. <laughs> don't identify. Watch your identification. So when you say don't take it personally, it's again, it's the part of that, of you, that gets hurt, you know. Somebody is telling you to give a, a Buddhist jargon, you know, it's not you. Don't take it personally, it's not you. But when it hurts, it doesn't feel like it's my neighbors, it's me, <laughs> doesn't it? It's definitely me that hurts. So don't tell me what I should be taking things personally or not. It's me, not my neighbor. That's the nature of self. He just suffers. That's why the Buddha, I don't know what the Buddha thought, but to me, when you have dukkha at the centerpiece of to recognize, to recognize in your meditation the dukkha aspect, it's your attachment. It's what the book you call self. And when you say self-love, it's just like 
it's not like pampering, you know, yourself and, um, you know, uh, promoting your ego maniac tendencies. It's just say, you know, when you realize the 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 the, the difficulty we have to actually go against the grain of the, of this kind of blind views that we have about many things. It's not easy, is it? You're not going to start beating them up like a donkey, you know, that go up the hill and sort of just beat them, you know. Come on! Go! You know, and you quicker, you know. It's not the way it functions for human beings, you know. It's that compassion is is better. Why compassion? Because in some ways, you know, um, when your heart is open, okay, it takes maybe not even a word, a coma, <laughs> the silence of a coma to make you transform your heart, you know. It takes very little. And when the heart is closed, <laughs> you could have Jesus in front of you, the Buddha. You just throw them stone at them because they don't really respond to your needs. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's what we call the blindness of delusion, you know. But I noticed that. So a lot of the spiritual work that we do here. It's not terribly useful in the world because the world uh, functions out of a, a mindset which is um, pressurized constantly. You know, you pressurize yourself to get, it's never good enough. You keep going, you push and you push and you push. Not much love there. So uh, it's like almost parallel realities, you know. You go back to your parents and you say, Mom, I learned how to be really patient and the teacher said it was the most important quality in the world. So your parents are saying, why did I pay all this money for your, you know, all this money for your study at university and that's what you learned? That's probably what my dad was saying. <laughs> I know patience is important, you know, but so what? You know, can you do something more important? You know, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, it's a, it's a sad, you know, it's a kind of confused reality because, you know, when we are dealing with the world, all these young people come to do retreat and so on, they're like, you know, really plodding through their studies with university study, they're trying their hard, they, they're being pushed, they're being competitive, they're trying the best, they, you know, but at the end of it, they're completely exhausted. They don't have juice, the juice it takes to continue living well, you know. They're just, you know, exhausted. So life is uh, quite a struggle, you know. There's no kind of, you know, easy recipe. But just for the, the, the person who has um, asked this question, how to balance it, you know, with wisdom. You balance it with wisdom. One part of it, if you love yourself all day long, you know, people will start walking over you completely because you start, you know, you don't think. 
It might just be loving. So that's one attachment that doesn't help so much, you know. And people go around, you know the people that go around and say, life is good and wonderful, look at the sun shining and God and all the devas. You know, you just want to slap them in the face. And <laughs> quote, unquote, I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just, I like, I like cartoons, you know, so I tend to be exaggerated a little bit, you know. <laughs> that's just to have a nice little cartoon feeling about it, you know. You could say you just look at them and say, what are you talking about? So self-love and not, it was not self is not a question of you only balance it, you know, through insight, really. Little by little you realize even though there is no one there, still you've got a whole house here full of rooms that needs your attention, your loving attention, your kind attention, your wisdom, you know, it's just like your health. Your health needs a good diet, a decent kind of uh, lifestyle. Uh, you know, otherwise the, the house breaks. You know, and sometimes we don't realize that the the most you know treacherous house is the one up there. It's the computer up there. You know, because you may do all the diet in the world, all the possible microbiotic to. All the diet I did, I did tons of diet in my life, you know. But one day, I think my wisdom must be quite strong somewhere. My wisdom, it's not my wisdom, it's wisdom, you know, because I remember still, I was still a dancer, and I was still married. And part of me, I was, you know, really interested in all this diet, and I had to slim down all the time, be really skinny almost. And then one day, my mouth just kind of blew it, you know. Blew the whole program of habits because it went like, well, I do worry about my mind an awful lot, and I think about my my diet an awful lot, and I think an awful lot about my diet. I just realized suddenly that my poor mind was really stressed out to keep my body healthy. Do you understand? <laughs> we think a lot, and that's I still realize this. This is so true how much we filled up the mind with our worry and concern to stay healthy. We don't realize that staying healthy is a very, very good thing. It's wonderful to stay healthy. But we haven't realized that the poor brain, which affects the whole body as well, the nervous system, the, the stomach, you know, is, is stressed by just you worrying about the body. So, keeping the body healthy, great. But don't forget your mind. Keep your mind healthy, too. That's sometimes more difficult to recognize. <clears throat> so, you know, take care of all this space here, this body, this mind, and so on. And you take care of it with a healing energy of compassion, That's my way. I don't think beating oneself up does a trick. You can see people, kids who have been beaten up, they're traumatized for the rest of their life. Right? Or women or men who have been, you know, beaten up by their wife or their husband, they get traumatized for the rest of their life. But love is quite a well-known thing that love heals, doesn't it? 
That's why people fall in love all the time, because they're looking for something. It's so nice falling in love, isn't it? For the first few days. <laughs> it's so wonderful, this dream, this complete release of tension and stress for three, four days, until you come back to the reality of now. <laughs> but that we have to have compassion for ourselves instead of saying, well, I'm a Buddhist, you know, don't do that, you know. Just be with the truth, you know. <laughs> the momentary truth, you know. It's not like the deep truth. It's just like, that's what happened. And everybody feels so good when they are in love, you know. Yes? <laughs> Don't miss it when it's there. But when you look for it after, that's when the, you know, that's when the, <laughs> the laundry starts. You know, uh, Jack Confield and his book, you know, after the ecstasy, the laundry. <laughs> you know, it's like your, your moment of ecstatic moments and then go back to churning your old washing machine inside. Well, I don't think he's really great. Either. I don't think she's that great. And got a few arguments, you know, well, you know, I think I'm on my own. I'm much better, really. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't last so long, unfortunately. So we have to find real deep love, that eternal love. That doesn't go. That's what we're doing here, by the way, you know, is that we're finding the place in ourselves that is never cut off from that sense of love, you know. But it needs wisdom because otherwise you it gets a bit sort of shaky. The wisdom is to know simply that things are changing. For example, you know, you might be completely in love with your love with your mind in love, but you know it's going to be changing. So that's wisdom. It's like you don't want to break the charm too quick, but you still reflect. You know, you gently, kindly, with with compassion. Talking about self love. With compassion, you'd say, This is lovely. But also, you know, you know one day it might end, not in such a good note necessarily. So, and then somebody said, you have talked about making, becoming friends with Mara. How do you go about this and avoid being ensnared, cons consumed, cons consumed, I think. Well, Mara, <clears throat> again, all these words to express the same thing. Mara is yourself. You know, is your delusion is Mara. Yeah. When you suffer, you know, this is the work of Mara. Mara makes you suffer. So Mara has also good sides, you know, it's like the devil wakes you up, you know. So you could say thank you for Mara to wake you up. If you were not suffering a little bit, you might never really realize that there may be another path, you know, another way to deal with life. But Mara is, um, you know, when you believe your mind, you are completely dancing with Mara. When you believe your mind. I see, you can see your mind in a different way. You don't have to believe into, in things to actually use your mind. You just have to realize your mind is like an information center. You know, you think. It's like, it's kind of giving you this wonderful kind of knowledge about 
certain things, you know. It has a power to offer you many things to to know, to, you know, to get to a kind of knowledge of life and of, uh, it's also memory. Memories can be used, you know. It's not just all bad. You can bring up memories. Can There's no judgment, you know. Memory becomes painful when it starts hurting because you're attached to memory. The attachment is a self. Would be considered the self, you know. So Mara, you befriend Mara by saying no. But it's not that easy. Not that easy. You know, I like the stories of the of the enlightened nuns and enlightened monks who wrote poems on the moment after the moment they were enlightened. And uh, poems is a story of often it's a story of their experience of Mara just before they got enlightened. Right? And Mara is always the temptress, you know, or the tempter. What are you doing here, sister? You know, you are alone on this mountain and this forest. You know, you're beautiful. You could be having children, making merits for your parents. You could be happy and get what you want. What are you starving here on the mountains there, all alone? And so the nuns, I know you, Mara. I've seen the limitation of sense pleasure. And Mara, in the story, goes, it has a little army. It's always a kind of ridiculous little kind of uh, group, you know, the group. You've got Mara, the big guy there, you know, I... Let's go and see the Buddha. I think we can trick him. That's how it often is presented in the sutta, you know. And um, she has a whole little army behind her. And so she goes and, you know. So the nuns say, I know you, Mara. And Mara goes away. And even the word miffed, I think, is, is, is in the, the text. She goes away. She's disappointed. She said, he knows us or she knows us. You know, and she's miffed, disappointed, and really sad. She hasn't been able to earn a living that day. Every time, I know you, Mara. Now, I know you, Mara, is a powerful statement, you know, because, let's face it, we have a lot of resistance, you know, in ourselves, a huge amount of resistance. Sometimes you realize... You know, you get a glimpse of the stuff you work with, and one of the stuff you, you work with is incredible amount of resistance to the truth, you know, to knowing that there are actually no problems. You know? And so Mara is a shadow. It's like a shadow, you know, that comes and say, makes you do all kinds of things, you know. Makes you full of the past. One of its great achievements for Mara is fooling, you know, pushing over over the past. It's like blind you. You know, the mind that knows the mind is a past. So Mara comes, you know, puts a nice cloth around your eyes and says, It's okay, it's very safe there. You can go there, no problem. 
you get what you want, you'll be happy, blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of blinding yourself. And then suddenly you end up, I don't know, in prison. <laughs> oh dear, I didn't realize that there was a problem, you know. <laughs> so the path is saying, stay on the path. Remember your precepts, you know, your ethic commitment, ethical commitment. And strengthen your mind, you know, so that it has clarity of intention, clarity of knowledge, clarity of seeing, awareness to guide you. Like, it's like a, a, the good weather instead of cloudy and foggy. You know, the Dhamma brings sunshine, you could say. Mara brings the fog. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, of course. So is Mara. <clears throat> Mara is, is the kind of thing that makes you suffer. You know, it's, it's what, for example, simple thing, you know. You decided you were going to do a little diet just to kind of make you feel like your cholesterol can get a bit better. And, uh, you know, maybe when you get older, you know, when you're younger, you just want to look better, you know, look good. When you get older, you don't really care anymore. But I, I, everything has a kind of, uh, helps along the way. You know, when I wanted to really look good and make other people look at me to look good and so on, that was a kind of a force behind me that helped me to keep my diet right. You know? so it's not so bad. You don't have to hate life or what it does to you, you know. And then now that doesn't work anymore. That motivation is not that strong, but I still want to keep, you know, you want to help the body to, to stay in a good shape, you know. So that's different motivation but it's still there. And, uh, but you decide, okay, I'll, I'll give you a story about Mara, then you'll know what it is and how to deal with it, okay? I have a great story. Uh, one day, many years ago, when I was a novice still, I thought I would just give up chocolate. For the three months of Vasa, you know, during the time when we give those Sunday talks, at Amarawati, but it was at Chetters in the early years. So, you know, I just like, thought, I thought, oh, I'm going to give up chocolate. It's good. It makes me look thinner. You know, I lose weight. I look better. You know, so all the things that we like you know, as a young woman, as younger women. I look, I feel good. I feel better. I'll be able to sit more supple and so on, you know. So innocently, I just said to myself, I'm going to give up chocolate for three, three months, you know. Now, who turns up the next day? You guess who? Give me the name. Ma Mara. Mara comes into your onslaught on me, okay? For two weeks, I have all these stories in my mind that, I, you know, if I give up chocolate, it's going to be very dangerous. <laughs> I, could actually, I could actually harm somebody and kill somebody. <laughs> you know, it's like the mind is mad. You know, it's like... It's like if I give up, yeah, it's, it's true. All these things came up in my mind. If I give up chocolate, I don't think I'm safe, really, for others. <laughs> so because I've been practicing, you know, I know how to listen to my thought and not believe them, I have to say, fortunately, otherwise I wouldn't be here. But, uh, you know, at the time, I already knew that. So, I mean, there was not a lot of choice. You know, it's like either you listen to it or you go crazy. So you might as well listen to it, right? Wasn't to get <laughs> swamped into these kind of stories, 
And then I heard it for about a week, you know, on the attack. You know, you won't be able to do it. You can't do it. It's not too hard. You'll be really terribly angry for three months, blah, blah, blah. You'll harm yourself, harm others. You know. After a week of not giving in, it's just calmed down. That's Mara in Technicolor. That's Mara. Mara is a kind of voice in your mind. As soon as you, you decide to be a good person, it starts making you do the most horrible things to confirm to your poor, deluded mind that you are really a bad human being. You know? Let's see if I can get an example. Okay, I've got another one for you. I won't give any name. I walked once. Maybe I've told you the story already. I don't know. It's a story I've, I've told many people probably. And one day I was just before the Vasa again, and we had somebody taking care of our training. Some of you probably will guess. But, and so I go through the sada, and I see this person coming, and I was using a technique that Achin Samedo kind of passed on to us. And I realized you can't give this technique to people who believe their mind because that would be dangerous, I think. <laughs> I have realized, you know. But this technique, that if something bothers you, just bring it up consciously and say it into your mind loud, you know. So I walk towards this person. And when I say you don't believe your mind, it means you know this is just a thoughts and a, a package of thoughts, do you understand, rather than truth, than, rather than a belief that's true forever. You know, it wouldn't work. So it's like the mind is much wider. You actually love the person at many levels, but you, something, you, know, you just don't like the person. But in a bigger way, you don't want, never want to harm this person, but you don't like it. You know, so somebody I didn't like, you know, it's like I had a view, this person is really not my, can't do anything, I can't connect with this person, you know, I want everything beautiful, he thinks always in an ugly way, you know. We're just not meant to kind of work together. Anyway, so I didn't have like, he's, you know, this person is bad, finished, no, it's just like this thought keeps coming up about aversion and anger and frustration about this person. Even though there's many other agenda at the same time, which are quite positive, you understand. And so I go, and um, in my mind, I say, I hate you. I hate you. So this is a technique that Achen Sumedo taught us, you know, to see the space between the thought, and eventually, after a while, you don't believe, you can't believe this train of thought because you have emptied it of emotions. You understand? Normally it's I hate you, and the whole system like, ooh, you know, reverberate. But at that point you say, I, within Brazil, hate you. Now, don't do that with your mother, please. <laughs> it has to be somebody you are quite detached, but at the same time you're stuck with that person. <laughs> so be careful. Not any of them, anybody. What I mean by stuck, you have to live with them. <laughs> so that person who's quite, you know, I think advanced meditation meditator comes to me and say, and he was taking care of our training. So he said, you know, just out of the blue, Sundara, 
But, you know, I think for this year, Vasa, I don't think you need to give up cheese and chocolate, really. No, you don't need to do that anymore. I think you need, you know, why don't you practice metta for three months? <laughs> but I like, I, like the, I like the humor of life, you know, so I say, yeah, sure. I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him. I told myself, you know, sure. That's right, it's meta. Yeah. Yeah, we're still this kind of uh, conceited, critical, cynical mind a bit. You know, it's like wisdom only. I don't want any chanting, any of that stuff. The chanting, I, you know, some people have doubts about chanting in these notes here. And so, uh, of course, as soon as I decided that I was going to practice metta for three months, I did. I'm quite a, you know, when you are open like that, when your heart is open, it can feel all kind of nasty things, but it's also soft. You know, it can bend easily. It trusts. It's a trusting heart. You know, you can. So I said, yes, I'm going to do that. You know, to myself. I didn't say anything to the person, but I will do that. And then you know what happened. Another onslaught. Of Mara, two weeks, another two weeks of Mara, just before the Vasa. For two weeks, is that it was a different kind of theme this time. Is that, but I really don't want to turn into that pink cheeks nonce, you know, looks really sweet and loves everybody and just kind of, you know, everything is, oh, loving, loving, loving. I can't stand it. <laughs> you know, I could hear that, even though it wasn't me. I could. I don't want to be that kind of, oh, I don't want to lose my critical mind. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to love everybody. So there was my mind doing that. I had just to listen to all that stuff, you know. And anyway, I'm not going to lose my wisdom, my nerve, my kind of, you know, my sense of steadiness. So I heard, everything was tempting me again and again and again. And then at some point, and I can't stand the thought, I, my mind was saying, I can't stand the thought of saying, may I be happy, may I be well, may, I be, may all beings be happy, may I... I'm going to get sick. You <laughs> start vomiting, you know, with an overload of matter. <laughs> that was a feeling, it's like, I can't stand it, you know, but I, I was just listening to that, I was not believing any of it. But that's why it's humorous at some point, You're in there, you don't need reality show with yourself. You are the reality show. <laughs> you know? I say, I hear you, Mara. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? No. <laughs> Some point, he calmed down, and and I said, "What on earth am I going to use to do this meta? I don't want to do the chanting. No way. I don't want to do a mantra. No way. What am I going to do?" But I trust a mind that doesn't know, you know. Trust your mind that doesn't know. Because it has tremendous capacity to bring something new, you know. Trust it. The world will tell you, this is rubbish. Trust it. And so after a little while, one day, in the breakfast time, when we were all sort of sitting together in the sala, a little voice came. Because I've been really ruminating about what am I going to do. And I knew that rumination was really good. Because it, like you get interested, but you don't believe your mind. It's a new way of functioning with yourself. And a little voice came, which wouldn't have been noticed by anybody. 
It's so low key in some way. Well, you could say, you could say, I can't bear it. Now people say, so what kind of thing? I can't bear it. But it obviously, it came from a place of the universe that has had some power for some such a simple sentence, you know, in the mind. To make my mind go for three months with a little sentence, I can bear it. And what happened with that decision to practice metta for three months? I use that sentence, you know. So Mara attacked me for a long time. Can't do this, can't do that, terrible, lose my personality. I'm going to lose my me. I'm going to lose myself, you know. I'm not going to be me anymore. I'll just be this pink, sweet-looking, loving, no sense, no brain, nothing, none. So that was the image that kept coming back, you know. And I was more like Zen, you know, like Zen style. That's more my style, you know, just kind of endure and, you know, no nonsense practice, you know. Not something oh, soft and gentle. And, you know, people used to be frightened when I walked because I walked with such a kind of sense of purpose, you know. So, not like, oh, everything is okay now. No, I can't cope with that. So that, <laughs> that little sentence came. And you won't believe, I mean, I wish... You could experience this kind of thing because it's so amazing. For I started being interested, so I just said that I will be sitting. It was like a mantra. I <clears throat> I can bear it, you know. I can bear it. And now that gently, because I know, you know, I know how to use mantra, so you don't actually <laughs> crack up the skin of your your heart by your determination and will, willfulness. You know, just gently. There's a soft space here in your heart. Just a, you know, so. I can bear it. And, you know, because I've done a lot of Pifpasana before that, I began to, that just little message was interesting. Brought up in my chitta, you could say, in my awareness, my field of awareness, it brought up not the pink, sweet, loving, forever none, but all the unpleasant feeling in my body. It's interesting. While I was having a cup of tea with the whole community. And I got, I got really my work cut out for three months because there was tons of things that I could not bear normally. And I made this kind of commitment, I can bear it. And so everything surfaced, you know, with irritation, so much irritation in his body. And I really enjoyed it because I realized it was working. I can bear it. It's just like seeing Anicca, really. But normally, because you don't see consciously Anicca, it kind of gets repressed and the, the, the thing just never consciously gets released. You know? Do you know what I mean? And so by the end of three months, what had happened? I hadn't turned into sweet-looking, pink-cheeking, cheeks, Love forever, none. I just turned into somebody who had released a lot of anger, huge amount of anger. You know, it's quite interesting. Life is not the way we think. You know, that's why teachers are, you know, enlightened teachers are really good because they can help us not to believe that reality is what we see and hear and so on. Reality is not something other than now, but. And sometimes we don't 
always have what it takes to release things, you know, to to come to the space of non-attachment that can help them to go. So that was another attack of Mara, you know. So how do you make friends with Mara? Mara is your delusion. Mara, just don't believe it, but you don't need to kind of kill it or create unskillful mental states about it, you know, harmful states of mind. You just Mara, when you befriend Mara, you realize it never existed in the first place. Just your mind creation. That's all. So you stop believing your creations. That makes sense. I'm the only one talking. Do you want to have any more questions about it? No? So what time is it? Okay. Yeah? No? You have a question, nobody? Awesome. Yeah. Loud, because come here. Come here. I'm, I'm going to miss one word. It will be a shame. Just one word of your sentence. And we might... um, during your, the setting meditation, what, te what technique do you use? During your sitting meditation, you use. What do I use? Yes, a technique. Could you can explain it? Yeah, or, I mean, for me, <clears throat> uh, you know, just uh, let the mind settle down, you know. I yes. stop grasping at this, that, and the other, you know. And uh, the mind settles down, and when it settles down, I feel my body sitting, I feel my breath breathing, I feel my, you know, my if there are thoughts, stray thoughts coming, I can feel, I can see them, you know. And I just uh, stay in a kind of non-grasping mind, you know, just not grasping. Okay. I, I know the mind grasping, and I know the mind non-grasping. Okay. I that worked means... on that a long time, because I want things to work, basically. I worked on it to recognize, and that's for you, it's really good thing, to recognize a grasping mind and a mind that is not grasping. It's such a help. You know, to know where you are at, kind of thing. Yeah. Did you choose anapanasati or? Yes. Well, I you I don't you know now I'm just aware of my breath. Okay. But I've done anapanasati very thoroughly for a few years. Yeah. Okay. And I find it very helpful. And the technique we use are one thing, but how you use it is another. You know. So a technique without uh, understanding why this technique is here to help you is uh, can be uh, you know doesn't take you in the right place sometimes. I much prefer to teach when people don't know you know maybe not so kind of um, when I don't know them rather you know when I don't know you what you do and your life and the kind of personality you have. I'm always weary of people picking one thing, you know, and really uh, focusing on that thing, thinking that's going to make it. Life doesn't need techniques, really, do you know? It doesn't need technique. It's just like you need technique just to keep you in the place where you can see clearly, yeah. you know. You don't move out into the future or the past. And then after that, you can just let your mind relax, and uh, then your concentration can come. You know, your mind gets more concentrated. So you're aware of your concentrated mind, you know. 
And I've done, you can do all kinds of meditation, bone meditation, elements meditation, um, you know, just anapagasati meditation. You can do, just listen to the sound of silence meditation. But I don't the, understand the sound of silence. Don't you hear it? Yes, uh, the experience of the sound of silence, yes, but... How to use it? Yes, I see how to use it. <laughs> Difficult to be Spanish, isn't it? You must be frustrated. <laughs> How to use it. So the sound of silence is two things. You know, you can use it as a just focusing a concentration, you know, like an object of concentration, or just uh, an object of your vipassana practice, simple vipassana practice. So one thing which is really interesting about the sound of silence, like I can hear it now. Who can hear it now? Yeah, it's not that difficult to hear it, actually. And Achan Samido used to say, I'm not sure about, you know, but he used to say, you hear it when the mind is quite quiet. It's quiet. So it's a sign your mind is quiet. You can check that out for yourself. And it's one thing which is really interesting about this uh, object of meditation that Ajahn Samido has developed as if it was a traditional Theravada object of meditation, you know. The, the masters of our tradition have developed some unusual things, you know, unusual techniques, unusual objects in the forest tradition. You know, as part of being a creating, a creative mind, you know. They, they don't stick necessarily just to the breath, even though they have maybe studied the breath in depth, you know. Some of them had a mantra, some of them had different things, you know. So... The sound of silence, what is particular to, to this object, what is unusual, is that you cannot control it. Basically, your mind cannot touch it. You understand? That's an interesting, because the mind can touch the breath and sort of start getting irritated or happy or whatever, you know. It starts involved with the breath. And you can feel the result of being conscious of the breathing and bring a lot of joy, a lot of pity, a lot of pleasant feeling, and so on. But with the sound of silence, you cannot touch it. You cannot say to it, I think you'll be too loud or too slow. You know, I think maybe a bit more music will be interesting. You know? No, you can't touch it. So that's something quite extraordinary, to have an object that you cannot control like that in yourself. And you can even hear it if you block your ears. If you really block your ears, you still hear the sound of silence. Now, Ajahn Sumedho studied this sound of silence for many years, and at first he never talked to anybody about it. But when he realized it was really useful for him, then he passed it on to others. And then he also realized that some very well-known tradition, like the uh, yoga tradition, has what is called a nada yoga. That's a sound, the yoga of sound. That's the same thing. Or uh, in the Sikh tradition, you have the same, the cosmic sound, it's called. And one day, Ajahn Sumedho, we have a Sikh person here, a very good friend of ours, and he asked if he could, uh, the t his teachers, you know, the elders of his tradition could come and talk with him, you know, or he could talk to them, you know, meet and uh, so on to, to uh, discuss or talk about this experience, you know, in our meditation. 
And he, he was told they can't do that because it's something you get transmitted by your master. You know, once they see, I guess, once they see that your mind is ready to use this sound, then, you know, when the Buddhist tradition of Achen Sumedhu, you get you can get it on day one, more or less. But if you get it on day one, it's mostly because your mind is also ready. It's not more cosmic or spiritual, but it's just the qualities you're ready. You, your mind has a kind of conditions ready in it to hear it. So at first you get really excited. The ego gets really excited about it. You know, so I still remember myself asking Achen Sumedhu, I hear it, he does this and this and this and that. You know, is that all right? You know, or does he get louder? I don't know, you get really kind of, am I got the right sound, do you think? Or should I get something else? And at some point, you don't really, don't care. You anyway. forget it, then we're still there. So it's an interesting object of meditation. You can use it everywhere, and you don't have to get your brain into it. That's the nice thing, you know, because we are anapanasati. You have to remember, you know, in and out and in and out, and then your lungs start getting a bit stressed by your strong willfulness, you know, and sort of you, the breathing start getting like, give me a break, leave me alone, I know how to breathe, kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> stop it! <laughs> That's why I did anapanasati for about two years in the forest in Thailand, because basically, I never had, uh, you know, um, the conceit in myself. I never wanted to stick to just one object. You know, it was nice just to have different objects to play around with. But then I started, I studied Anapanasati, deep, you know, quite thoroughly. And I said, it was a part of me was like dancing. You know, once you dance and do a lot of exercise and so on, then you don't worry about, you know, how to dance. You know, you don't have to kind of think of your plié, your bars, your, you just do it without thinking. So I, I felt this principle must work for anapanasati as well. So I'm going to do anapanasati until I don't have to think about it and it just works on its own. It's just mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> it's not such a big deal. It's just the mind is naturally conscious of the breath after a while, you know. You know, you bring this quality of awareness to the breathing apparatus of your body and mind. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I recommend it. You know, if we're going to do a little experiment, okay, just uh, sit quietly. You don't need to change your posture. Just stay where you are. Close your eyes gently. And just let your mind empty. Just let your mind calm down and just... Uh, and see if you can, don't look for the sound of silence, it's there. So, who's, who heard it, hadn't heard it before? Nobody? Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> who, who is that? Yeah, a high-pitched sound. It's like a high, high-pitched note. Yeah. So you haven't heard it, no? No, that's okay. I mean, you know, many people never hear it. You know, it's not like essential. Now, finish with your question. Yes. <laughs> and I just want to stretch your legs a bit if you need to. I'm going to stretch mine. There is something about chanting in here. 
which I think is an important question because many people don't benefit from the joy of chanting. Anyway, the question was simple. It was, what do we have to chant? What's the, what's the purpose of chanting? What do we, you know? It's something that all Westerners, like 30 years ago, used to ask, including myself. Not that I ask, why do we need to chant? I just always felt happy to do whatever I needed was required for me to do. So it wasn't a big, big thing. But it, didn't, it doesn't come naturally, you know, especially the words. I mean, it's not so much a chanting. You know, I didn't mind chanting any old things, you know, any pop music. Well, not pop music. I wasn't into pop music. But, you know, any songs maybe that I like. But the idea of chanting, you know, the Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, you know. Now I'm used to it. But at first, I was glad I was French. I did not know the English word so well. So it was not just good to not have it in French. You know, Le Seigneur, oh my God. <laughs> I wasn't brought up as a Catholic as well, you know, so that would have been a disaster. I had to find a Dharma in England, otherwise I would have made it, you know. Um, but Ajahn Sumedho, I remember, used to say, oh, you know, I was like that, and... Um, he said, now I chant, I'm really happy to chant. And he said, oh God, you know, good for him, not for me. I'm really happy to chant because I feel my, my love for the Buddha and I feel my gratitude to the Buddha. And you, know, and you couldn't kind of relate to that, you know. So when he talked about his own gratitude and love, it's like, hmm. <laughs> I feel gratitude and love, but I don't need to chant, <laughs> you know. And so, um, but now, you know, these words are quite empty in a way, at some level, you know, after all doing all this work on the emptiness of thought, you know, it's like, but they're more like, they, they reverberate, you know, they resound in such a way that they, it's just an expression of love for the, my teacher, the Buddha, you know, that's one aspect. The other aspect, which, uh, again, Achen Samedo used to point out to us, is that when you chant, you stop thinking about yourself. That's quite a good way of moving out of self-obsession, of you know. And by the time you finish chanting, every time I noticed that, my mind was really empty. I love the moment when we finish chanting and we stay still like this. I mean, now it's not such a chatterbox, a chatterbox in my mind, but when it was more of a chatterbox, it's like, God, what a difference, you know? Empty and still. So that's a very beautiful way to um, bring the mind to a good space, you know, a good place. I recommend chanting now. You know, I don't have to do it for hours. But some monks in our tradition, even in our tradition, some monks use um, not Ajansha, sort of close to the Ajansha tradition, but some of the best monks of Ajansha tradition, you know, in terms of meditators and, you know, exp you know people who have achieved a high level <coughs> of practice, they, um, you know, they really uh, teach chanting, you know, as a means of brightening the mind. You know, we don't know. I mean, the, the Buddha, after all, did teach the devas and the devadas through the night, and Ajahnman did that too. We don't have to believe in the devas and start worrying what we do to them. 
you know, oh my God, I swear to that one. I'm sure the devas are going to really hate me for that because you'll be really troubled, you know, don't worry about it. When you practice, one thing you know, when you practice, you have good connection. That's what I trust. I haven't been sort of proved the contrary so far. I don't sort of say it's going to be forever, but you know when you practice, you get a lot of help. Where they come from, I have no idea, and I don't even want to bother knowing. But by golly, I can tell you, you get a lot of support, so never give up, you know? Right? Never give up. Just empty your mind and bring peace to it, you know, and then you ask a question, and sometimes it's answered. We've been trying to kind of find an answer to something for years, you know, and then suddenly the moment is ripe, and then you get the answer, you know. And not necessary in words or concepts or ideas. You don't get the answer necessary like that. There's many ways of getting answer in life. And the least maybe reliable is thoughts, you know. Might not get it at all like that. Might get it in many different other ways, which is not uh, predictable necessarily. So, um, yes, the the... I think the chanting is lovely because it's also a way of expressing our respect, our love, our gratitude, you know. And also, when I did the chanting with you, the second part, to remind the teacher, to remind us of the teaching, you know. Yeah? Form is not self, form, you know, body is not self, feeling is not self, uh, mental formations are not self. You kind of learn the teaching as well. We haven't got this one yet. I don't. I don't think you've got it actually. There's one chanting that came back to the West with a, with a, with a new book, which makes you feel you're in Thailand. It's kind of wonderful. It's more sing song, you know. Ana la you da 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 da. Kind of more sing song, you know. And <clears throat> we Westerners, many years ago in '79, we the only idea that some people of our community came up with to make it easier for everybody to learn the chanting more easily. You will never guess. You really want to finish the afternoon with a good laugh. You will. I hope you will. We chanted for a long time on one one note. One note. Yoso Bhagavā Arahaṁ Sammā Sambudu Vijācharana Sampanu. That for several years, until sister, ex-sister Abbasra, who used to be a professional musician, who actually, uh, I think she, she, she played with the uh, Death, Death Leopard, what were they called? <laughs> eh? Grateful Death. No, there was something about Leopard, there was not a group about, no? I don't think she's. It wasn't in America. Great death in America, aren't they? She played with a very famous group, anyway. And at some point, poor sisters, you know, she disrobed in the end, she just went back to her music. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing she did before she, before she left, she wrote a whole requiem, you know, and uh, she was singing it. It was beautiful. But she endured until she went to Siachen Sumedo and she said, um, you know, I discovered. She, she went to the Gregorian chant uh, technique, science, you know, the Gregorian chant, you know, the Gregorian chant, you know, medieval chant, beautiful. 
And she, she studied them. She studied the scale. And she was um, really interested to find out if there was another way of chanting. So she went to Achen Sumedu, who, by the way, always shared to us that if he was, you know, he would love to be an opera singer, basically. <laughs> he would have loved having the warriors and all that, you know. But he couldn't because he was a monk, so he had to give it up. But he would always, so when she went to see him, I think he was so relieved. I think he had endured, everybody had endured. One monk thought of that, you know. And suddenly somebody, everybody said, oh, that's probably good. It's kind of hard and difficult to do that. It's good for them, you know, for everybody. Let's not have too many pleasures and kind of fun on the chanting, you know. So make it really... <laughs> Until she discovered that we were actually on the Gregorian chant scale. We were on the war scale. <laughs> that's what I remember, on the war scale. For several years, you know. No wonder we're not feeling too good. There was a lot of difficulties in the community. You know? So she was allowed three votes, three notes, to redo the whole, all the chanting we have is Sister Basra, ex-Sister Basra's work. <laughs> and she was only allowed three notes. You saw that one, the home note, up and down, that's it. <laughs> and when it went to the Italy... They couldn't cope with that. Three notes was just not enough for the Italian, you know. <laughs> so they were, they were at five notes. <laughs> five notes, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And then I'm going to chant you, I'm going to give you a sample of my time in Thailand through chanting one of the Namotasa. You probably you know it, that, Donna, don't you? So I'm going to do it in English and in Thai. Well, not sorry, in Pali and in Thai. Okay, so we say, let's chant together. Namu tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambutasa. Namu tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambutasa. Namu tasa. Okay. Okay. And then we have. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one, etc. Three times. The Thai version. I have to say, the Thai version sent me to cloud nine instantly. <laughs> I'm in heaven almost immediately. I don't have to do very much. That's why chanting is good. It takes you up to the heavens quite quickly because it touches the heart. Okay? It touches the heart. So, you might, you might hate it, you know, but this is, I'm going to attempt... Do you know it, Donna? Not sure. Well, I know it. <clears throat> so, just listen to it. Namutasa Bhagavato Konom non de prapumi prapajao praonan arahato pempuglajakile Samma sambutasa drasaru chabdai doi praoneng. You don't need Dhamma afterwards, okay? <laughs> peace. It's like you're, you know, you're not enlightened maybe, but your mind is really peaceful, isn't it? <laughs> you like it? Yes. So so? <laughs> no, yes. So that's one way of chanting, you know, right? and then we did chant, you know, Namotasa Bhagavatu Alahatu Samma Sambutasa.
you can see some people needed to develop their sensitivity, I think. They never knew that we were on the war scale. <laughs> and Flora Basra, when she discovered, I think she, she was shocked. <laughs> anyway, so I encourage you to do chanting because it's also energized the mind and body. <coughs> it energizes it. We're just a bit lazy with our, the side of our mind, which is free from rationality. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Why should we chant, you know? When I'm on my own on retreat, I don't chant much, you know? I ever chant, I ever, you know? But when I do chanting, I'm just too lazy to chant, that's all. You know, I don't feel, oh, it's still right, just to wash my breath is enough, you know? I don't have to do chanting as well. It's okay, I can hear the sound of silence, do my breath. Why do I have to chant, you know? But then when I do the chanting, I feel really good. It's lovely. Who disagrees with me? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so who is the person who sent the question? Is, is he or she here? This is a very good question to still talk about it. Nobody? She's gone walking. Right? <laughs> He's gone walking. <laughs> He's too shy to be, un, you know. And so, yeah. Is there any difference between mind and chit? I, I can't hear what you say. Come here. Yeah, me, Pascal. Otherwise, I can't hear. Is there any difference between mind and chit consciousness? Chit and conscience? The mind and chitta? No. With the mind. The mind. Yeah, it's okay. You can go back. Um, chitta is, means the mind, you know. It's, it's confusing sometimes because the mind is also consciousness. So there is consciousness. Vinyana, Manu, Chitta. They all mean mind. But Vinyana is like the sense consciousness related to the sense doors. Manu is a thinking mind. And chitta is the larger format of your mind, you know, that which uh, comprises all of that. Yeah. When the uh, vipassana chitta, chitta, uh, chitta nupassana, you know, it's a mind that is described as, is a mind. Uh, eh? Jit. It's the same, isn't it? And how do you spell jit with a word? Uh, that means a mind too in your mind? No, it's the same. It's behind mind. Something is working behind mind. Behind the mind. There's nothing there. <laughs> the mind does not exist as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's just a creation of our illusion. Do you understand? <laughs> We don't have a mind. <laughs> you think you have a mind, don't you? <gasps> it looks like we have a mind. Seems like we have a mind because we're creating a mind all the time. We are constantly creating a mind. Okay. So well, we can stop here. There's still lots of questions, but I can't. You know, we do have to. <laughs> can't carry on. I'm afraid, unfortunately. <laughs>